Okay, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to get there in just a minute. <clears throat> well, I hope you all got a good night's sleep. Uh, we sure did. Our seven kids that normally would be down the hall were two time zones away. So we uh, slept really well. Looks like a good number of you have coffee. So uh, we started off really light last night, basically just uh, 10 minutes of talking, getting to know each other and getting ready for today. But uh, got to buckle down and get to it. And I, I'm really looking forward to the, the time. Uh, if you remember, we talked about last night that two are better than one. That came from Ecclesiastes chapter four. And God just says that's the case, that it's better for, for two to work together than for one to be alone. But there are times where we may not feel that way. And I suppose even sometimes in marriage where that we can operate in such a way that it, it really doesn't look that way. It looks like maybe those two individuals would be better apart than what they are together. But that's really no fault of God's plan or how he intended marriage to work. It's just that it's in us to, to mess up God's plan in some way or another. So it could be that there's somebody uh, that's here, a married couple that's here, and it feels like you're working more at odds with each other or working in spite of each other rather than working together and the whole two being better than one. You're finding yourself really questioning it. Well, again, the principles from God's word can, can really help you. But I also imagine that there are people who are going to come to a marriage retreat who already have a good marriage and then something like this, what it can do for us is it just reminds us of just how high that God's standard is for marriage, gives us something to compare to and to see a good marriage become a great marriage. And all of us are going to continually be striving, just like uh, none of us will ever achieve uh, the perfect example that Christ is for all of us. None of us as imperfect people are ever going to have a perfect marriage. There's always going to be ways that we can grow and mature and develop. And I would suggest to you that first Peter chapter three, where God willing, we're going to spend the whole day today session this morning and tonight will both be in first Peter chapter three. I think it provides that really high, powerful example to all of us that when we compare ourselves to it, we'll, we'll see just how much that we can grow in our marriage relationships. Now, I want to give you a little background on 1 Peter 3, because it'll only help you appreciate what Peter says here even more. He was writing to believers who were facing persecution, and, and we're talking about real, literal, physical persecution, not like a co-worker that just didn't like them for being a believer. We're talking about physical persecution that was happening against these believers, and the natural tendency in all of us is when we're suffering, when somebody's persecuting us, when somebody's mistreating us, it's our natural response to do wrong in return. It's, it's to act wrong when we suffer wrong. That's, that's what's in all of us. Our tendency is to act wrong when we suffer wrong. But throughout the whole epistle, the whole letter that Peter is writing to these believers, he keeps emphasizing to them that you still have to do what's right, even if you've been treated wrongly. And in chapter two, even if you look at, at verse 13, uh, he reminds them, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors. And he goes on from there. That would have been quite a command to give to these people, knowing that it was their very government that was persecuting them and mistreating them. So he says, even though they've treated you wrongly, you still have a responsibility to submit to that earthly government. Well, if you look down in, in verse 19, he gives them a, a reason or the heart that a believer should have in these times. He says, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief. You're doing right, but you've been mistreated. 
If you suffer wrongfully, let me read that again. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So this is the background, the backdrop to what we're going to read here in chapter three, where Peter is saying to these believers, you may be mistreated. You may have suffered wrong, but even in all of that, there is a way God wants you to act. And it's your responsibility to submit to, to get under God's command for the life he wants you to live the way that he wants you to act. You have a responsibility to submit, even if it leads to your suffering, even if it leads to heartache or difficulty, you have the responsibility to to submit. Well, that brings us then to chapter three, as you look at in verse one, it says, likewise, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands. But then look at verse seven. It says, likewise, ye husbands. So uh, Peter is, is drawing this connection between uh, this responsibility to submit to the point of suffering and something even within the marriage relationship. Now that I guess could sound a little heavy or a little foreboding that he's saying the responsibility in marriage, you, you got to do it whether you feel like it or not, whether you feel like you're suffering or not, you still have a responsibility to do that. But it's at least encouraging for us to know that, <clears throat> that scripture accounts for the fact that sometimes there will be difficulties in marriage. And yet, even though there are difficulties, we still have a responsibility to do what's right. And at the end of chapter two, we're provided the ultimate example in Jesus himself. If you were to look down at verse 21 of chapter 2, it says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. See, we could, when we suffer wrong or when we go through difficulty and when we're commanded to submit in spite of how that we are treated or how we feel like it goes, even in trying to do the right thing, we could say, oh, this is so awful or this is so terrible. But Jesus provides us the ultimate example because he submitted to the will of his father even to the place of his own suffering and in and his own death. So there's nothing that we could ever go through in marriage or in <clears throat> conducting our lives as Christians that won't still give us the opportunity to look at the example of Jesus and say he was willing to submit to the will of his father, even though it led to his own suffering and death. So he provides that that ultimate example for us. Okay, so now I'm going to read what's going to be our text for this morning and tonight, and that would be the first seven verses of First Peter chapter three. So after presenting this context of you have a responsibility to submit, even if it leads to your own suffering, and you should follow the perfect example of Jesus, that brings us to verse one, where he says this. Likewise, in the same manner as Jesus did, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, They also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear whose adorning let it not be that were outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart 
and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection under their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Now before I read on, then I just want to say I'm really looking forward to dealing with these first six verses in First Peter 3 tonight in, in the session that we'll have directed towards all of the ladies. The thing I'm really excited to tell you is that these verses are often misunderstood. And those who look at the Bible from the outside and say, see, this is a chauvinist or a sexist portion of Scripture. And Paul had this really demeaning view of women misunderstand actually what the passage is communicating. And I can't wait to actually talk to all of the wives tonight about what this passage is really saying. Another point, too, that I'd I'd draw your attention to is if you notice, Peter's going to say seven verses about the importance of the husband and the wife finding their place within the marriage roles where God wants them to be. And of the seven verses, he has spent six of them talking to the wives. Now, I don't want to get any husbands in trouble here, but I'm going to ask the question, You know, why is that? Why would Peter spend six verses talking to the wives about submission and then there's one verse talking to the husbands about submission? Well, again, maybe the the teasing idea, the thought that are in all of you, you husbands, not my mind, this wouldn't be in my mind, but it could be in your mind to say, well, it's because women struggle so much more with submission. So, you know, they need six verses in order to help them understand how they can get in the place that they're supposed to be. And we husbands, we just need one verse. But I would suggest to you that's not the case at all. And we'll get to talk about that both this morning and tonight. Really, what's neat to me is Peter understands the communication styles of women and of men. Because if you notice in what I read in verses one through six, it's beautiful language. It kind of the thought wanders and meanders and he gives an example and it's presented so beautifully. There's specifics that are provided. And it's as though that under the inspiration of God, Peter understood the way to explain this principle to the the women in in this beautiful language that communicates this principle and provides the practical examples they are looking for. And then he gets to verse seven and he just smashes the husbands right in the mouth. It's just one verse, simple, direct. It's not even the whole verse is directed at husbands, but it's not because we're any less in need of finding our place as husbands within the home. He just gets right to it in very few words and and lets us have it. So wives, if it's okay, then we're going to start this morning with the husbands and I'm going to let your husbands have it. Is that okay? Is all right? (laughs) Figured I'd get a couple of amens there. So let's read verse seven. Then I want to pray with you and we're going to spend our time just talking about what's communicated there in verse seven. Okay. It says likewise. So in the same manner, it's not that men are different than women in their need to submit. So it says likewise in the same manner as what wives do in the same manner as what Jesus did. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Okay, let me pray with you and we'll get into verse 7. Lord, I do thank you so much for the time to be able to uh, consider your word this morning and this short, simple, straightforward, practical instruction that I really believe can be a help to every husband who's here. 
whether marriage is rough right now and they're just looking for help from you to salvage things, or if it's a great marriage where that they have in many ways applied these principles but need a refresher, need a reminder about what you expect and how high that expectation is. I pray, Lord, that you'd help it to be clear uh, to each and every one of us and that you'd give us the faith once we understand what you ask of us, give us the faith and the obedience to apply it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So God designed all of us as men to appreciate things that work well and are in good working order. I'd I'd say that that'd probably be true of all of us. I mean, I think about every time that I get into a vehicle and I put the key in and I turn it, how many different processes suddenly start working in order for the vehicle to start. And then for me to be able to put the vehicle and drive and drive down the road. But even while we're driving down the road that we can have music playing, uh, we can be running windshield wipers, which I think you all do a lot around here. Uh, you can have cruise control going, all of these things operating in the car. And as long as everything is in order, according to the design of the auto manufacturer, then all of those things work. And, and we feel at rest because it's like everything in our environment is, is working as it should be. I, I don't know about you, man, but something if something is just not in order and it's not working properly, it bugs me. I mean, I could even have everything in a vehicle working well, but if I've got some loose change in a cup holder and there's like a coffee thermos sitting on top of it and it rattles, it just drives me nuts, you know, until I move the thermos out of the way, put the change somewhere else, because there's just that that sound that's interrupting my peace. You know, I just, amen. I know. Yes. Yep. So... You want everything to be working well and you want everything to be at peace. Well, it, it, it works that way as long as everything is in order. Now, this doesn't work this way with the change in the cup. There's no meter to tell you otherwise. But, but cars are designed with lights that let you know when something is going wrong uh, or it just quits working. You know, if you go out to the vehicle in the morning and you stick the key in and you turn it and nothing's happening, that tells you one of the many processes that is involved in this vehicle, something is not working as it's supposed to be. Well, God has an order and a, a design for marriage as well. And we as men are designed to want the same order within our homes as what we want with our vehicles. And just like it means so much to us, if we can be driving down the road and enjoying the peace and quiet of a well-operating vehicle without distractions, well, we as men are designed by God to, to want a smooth running marriage where that everything is in order and we feel like that we are at peace. That's what we really want. Well, God, God's the one who designed marriage and It's only going to be at peace. We're only going to be at rest when everyone is functioning within the marriage relationship the way that God intended. Okay, it's it's only going to be at peace. We're only going to be at rest when everybody is functioning within the marriage the way that they're supposed to be. Okay, so I'm going to take a second here to remind you about this context. We we talked about first Peter two, first Peter chapter three that Peter is talking about how that Jesus was the perfect example of his submission to the Father. And then he says, likewise, you wives, likewise, you husbands. So I want to visualize that for you, okay? So it's like that Peter is saying that, that God the Father is in charge over all. And that Jesus 
was in perfect submission to the will of his father, that no matter what the father asked of him, Jesus did it and did it perfectly, did it seamlessly, even to the point of his own suffering and death. So then when he says, likewise, you wives be in submission to your own husbands, and he tells the husbands, likewise, you be in submission to Jesus, then he lines everything up and shows us what God's order is in the home. It's God, the father, Christ, husband and wife. Now, I wish I had four hands so I could show you, but I I don't. Okay, so you just got to imagine God, the father, Christ, husband and wife. That's the way that things are supposed to be lined up. So just like a well-operating vehicle, in as much as we line up in our roles the way that God designed us to be as the husband and as the wife, then things line up beautifully and there's peace and there's harmony within the home. Even if that home goes through difficulties and trials and struggles because we're lined up the way that we're supposed to be in perfect submission to the, to the head above us, then we're going to have peace. There'll be peace, there'll be tranquility in the home. Now, It's in us as men, it's in us as men, when things are not in order within the home and there's not peace within the marriage relationship to automatically presume that it's our wife's fault. It's, it's the same mindset of getting into the vehicle and starting up the vehicle. And when it doesn't work, well, you're not going to say, this is my fault, the, my vehicle's not working because I did something wrong in turning the key. No, you're going to say, I turn the key just like I always do, and something's wrong with the vehicle, and automatically want to blame it on the vehicle. Well, what is true of our desire for our vehicles to work may not be true of our marriages in the way that we want them to work. And that a husband can get up day after day after day, and then there starts to be problems or difficulties in the marriage relationship. There's a lack of harmony, there's frustration in that relationship. And it can be the tendency of the husband to say, must be something wrong with that woman. If, if there is problem, if there's lack of unity, if there's lack of peace, if we're fighting, if things aren't going well right now, it must be a problem with her. But what I want you to remember is that according to God's design, it's not that women are the only ones in the marriage relationship who have a responsibility to get in order. Husbands have a place where they belong as well. And just like, yes, it is possible that a wife can be out of line and not be the wife that she's supposed to be. And that can cause friction or tension or problems in the marriage relationship. A husband is equally as capable of not being what he's supposed to be in submission to Jesus. And that can cause marriage problems as well. So it may be our tendency as men to say, oh, if there's problems, it must be something up with my wife. There must be some problem there. We have as much reason, if not more so, men, to look at our own selves and to say, I may be the reason that there's noise and friction and tension and problems and difficulties in our marriage relationship right now. In fact, I want you to think about this for a second from what we read in 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay, look, look up here again. So it's God the Father, it's Christ, it's husband and the wife. Okay, if you notice... In verses 1 through 6, it talks about how that the wife is to be in subjection. She's supposed to be in her place, lined up where she's supposed to be. And all of what she's supposed to do has to do with the way she treats her husband. It's wives be in subjection to your own husbands, act this way towards him, treat him this way, be submitted to him. Okay, But notice it says the same likewise. Husbands have a responsibility to submit. But in verse 7... It says, likewise, ye husbands, and it proceeds to talk about how that husband treats his wife. Okay, 
So follow me there. It could be in a husband to say, oh, I'm in perfect submission to Jesus. I don't know what my wife's problem is. I'm lined up the way that I'm supposed to be. I love Jesus. I have a wonderful relationship with Jesus. I've got my act together. What's her problem? But if you notice, according to verse 7, it's not that the husband will show his submission to Jesus by how he treats Jesus. He shows his submission to Jesus by how he treats his wife. Okay? So you follow me there? It says, wives, you be in subjection, and a wife will manifest her subjection, the fact that she's in place the way she's supposed to be by the way she treats her husband. But rather than submission for a husband being about how he treats Jesus, a husband will show whether or not he submitted to Jesus by the way he treats his, his wife. So it could be that any man in here might say, I'm doing great. I've got my act together. But verse 7 provides us that ultimate example to say a man cannot say, a husband cannot say, oh, I'm in perfect submission to Jesus if his behavior, his conduct towards his wife doesn't match what's in verse 7. So just like the wives have a high standard of submission that's expected of them, it's not really that Peter gave the wives six verses because they're so much more wicked and rebellious. It's that Peter was very direct with the husbands and told us exactly how we're supposed to treat our wives in order for us to be in submission to our head, which is Jesus. So let's talk then about what the expectation is for us as husbands, according to verse 7. It does start right off the bat with a very direct commanding word. It says, likewise, ye husbands dwell, dwell with them. This is, this is a beautiful word here. The word dwell that you find here in 1 Peter chapter 3 is actually the same word as what you find in John chapter 15, where Jesus talks about the importance of abiding in the vine. Abide. The word abide is the same word as what you find here, the word dwell. So it's, it's what you think it means. It means make your home with. It's this is where you live. This is where you exist. This is home base for you. Peter says, dwell with them, dwell with your wife. Okay. Now it it could be that a husband even needs to start right there with that very first command and say, dwell with them, dwell with your wife, because it's possible for a husband uh, to be oriented or for him to make his home or for him to abide with many other things than his wife. It's possible for a husband to have a very work bound life or that he really views his work as his identity and his work as what his life is about and his work as being his passion. And it's just that he goes home in the evening times to spend a little time with the wife and get some sleep. But his thoughts and 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 where he's oriented to is is his work. Or it could be to a hobby that a husband can be spending all of his time thinking about whatever I got to do to just make everything else in life be at peace. Then I want to go and spend time doing my hobby or, or watching sports or watching news or playing video games. It, it could be that a husband dwells with and has a tendency to dwell with all kinds of other things than with his wife. So already right off the bat, it could be that some husbands need that that command, need that reminder that. We are supposed to live lives, husbands, that are oriented to and are centered on and our home and our abode is with our wife. 
So even while we're at work, our thoughts are supposed to be, this is not my home. This is not what life is about. And as we approach each day in the morning time, it would be home is where I belong. Home is where I live. My wife is my abode. And I may branch out there for the day and go to work, but my responsibility is to dwell with my wife. Okay. But I would suggest to you that many husbands would give themselves a pass if Peter just said dwell with them and it stopped there. Peter doesn't say just dwell with them. He says, dwell with them according to knowledge. Okay, now I'm really relieved that when I studied verse seven out, that I found out that what Peter is saying is that it's not as though that a husband has a responsibility to dwell with his wife according to some sort of prior knowledge about women and how they work. Okay, because otherwise I think all of us as husbands would be sunk, right? If, if it required for us to be good husbands, we had to understand women and how they think and how they function. And if Peter was saying, you dwell with them, but you dwell with them according to your understanding of women and how they tick and how they work and how they operate, you dwell with them according to that knowledge, I'd be sunk. I'd, I'd be in trouble if, if that's what Peter was saying. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you have to dwell with them according to a knowledge that you already possess. He's saying you have to dwell with them in a way that increases your knowledge as a result of the dwelling. As a result of abiding, that there's an increased knowledge that's coming as a result of it. Okay, now, let me explain what I mean. It would be possible for me to dwell with my Bible physically, where that, you know, I go throughout the whole day and I tuck it under my arm and I have it next to me in the vehicle, on the console. I sleep with it at night and lay on it as a pillow. It would be possible for me to dwell with my Bible physically, but for none of the knowledge that's in my Bible to be getting into my head. I'm never actually reading it or absorbing it or taking in what's in it. I would be dwelling with my Bible physically, but I would not be dwelling with it according to knowledge. Dwelling with it according to knowledge means it's with me, but it's also that what's in it is getting into me. I'm dwelling with it according to knowledge. I'm a student of it. I'm with it, and what is in it gets into me. Now, this is where it can start to get convicting, right, for us as husbands, because it is very possible for us to dwell with our wives physically, but even though there may be a steady stream of knowledge that she is dispensing on a daily basis through talking, through her saying things, and it's, it's knowledge that's streaming out and that's pouring out. It's very possible for us as husbands to be dwelling with them. We lock arms as we walk into the coffee shop or as we go to church that day. We get into bed with them and sleep next to them each night. We have the same address. It's possible for us to dwell with them physically, but it's very possible that all of what is in that head doesn't actually get into our heads that we dwell with them, but not according to knowledge. And again, that may not be because nothing of this is being made available because more than likely there is a steady stream, right? Of words every day that's coming my direction where it would be possible for me to dwell with them and I can either dwell with them according to knowledge or just dwell with them and not according to knowledge. And what can happen then is that we're with them physically, but we're not with them mentally because our minds are on other things. Okay. So I really want you to get this. Peter's talking about, yes, it's about your physical address. Yes. It's where you go to bed. Sure. You're supposed to dwell with your wife physically, but he's saying you're supposed to dwell with her in such a way that, that what is in her 
in her mind, that's what gets into your mind. You're listening, you're a student, and you're paying attention. We as men, we can be so distracted by other things, even things that seem important. I mentioned to you uh, last night that I'm currently in a, a PhD program at Oklahoma State University, and I'm, I'm loving it. I know it's what God wants me to do. I'm learning a lot. It's been very rigorous, though, for us, for me to be teaching full-time at Heartland, working as the academic dean, and we've got our marriage relationship. We have seven kids, and for me to try to get all of this information into my head, I brought a textbook to help visualize to get this information into my head and do well in the assignments that are required of me, it takes brain power. I have to get the knowledge that is in this into my head. But because this information is so specific, it's often so interesting, it's so varied, that then it can be easy for me, even when I'm with her, to still have this in my head. Because... This is a requirement, and if I don't do this, then I'm going to get bad grades, and I'll be in the program even longer. Or I can go to work each day and say, well, I have to pay attention to what's happening in that environment, because if I don't do right by my job, I'm going to get fired. And so I have to get all of that into my head, and I have to pay attention to that. But it could be that because I, I go from this, where I'm reading all these deep principles about globalization and issues in higher education, then my wife walks in, and she starts talking about should she use this coupon or should she use that coupon? And was this a good enough deal? And this issue with the children, then, then it could be in me to say, this is what's in my head. I don't have time for all of that because it seems so much less important or because it seems so mundane and every day or because I'm hearing things over and over again that I, I don't necessarily want to hear about. It's knowledge that I don't care about and don't want to pay attention to. Then it's possible that I could dwell with her But if I'm honest, I'm dwelling with my work according to knowledge, dwelling with my studies according to knowledge, but not dwelling with my wife according to knowledge. Now, I would hope that if we were to take a a quiz, a pop quiz at this moment and ask all of the husbands in the room to begin sharing pieces of knowledge about their wives, because, right, that's how we test knowledge, right? If we're going to find out, are you dwelling with your wife according to knowledge? then how would we find out? We would test. We'd take a test. We'd take a quiz and say, do you know this about your wife? Do you know that about your wife? Well, I would imagine, especially for people that have been married a long time, you could rattle off all kinds of things about your, your wife's favorite color, her favorite restaurant, things like that. Hopefully, favorite flower. You know some of those things. But it could be if you've been married a long time, then she could be streaming out all kinds of other information that you're not really paying attention to. And if we were to ask other questions like, what would you say is your wife's biggest spiritual struggle right now? Or what is your wife most excited about? What, what's her biggest fear in an, on an everyday basis? Then some of those things that she's probably communicating and probably saying in everyday conversation, she's letting those things spill out and the stories about the coupons and the kids and everything else. That if you're just dwelling with them, but not dwelling with them according to knowledge, you might fail a quiz. You might fail a test on how well you actually know your wife and what's important to her and what matters to her. Peter's saying, husbands, you will manifest your submission to Christ. This is big stuff here. It says you will manifest your submission to Christ in as much as you dwell with your wife in such a way that what is coming out of her by way of knowledge 
is coming into you and you're counting that as being important. But he pivots then from there in the verse and he helps men understand how that once you dwell with your wife according to knowledge, there's something that you're going to learn about her. Okay, so let me let me present that in a different way. Men, as you dwell with your wife, according to knowledge, there's something you're going to discover about your wife. And many of you men have already discovered this. Peter said it right here in in verse seven, that when you dwell with your wife, according to knowledge, you're going to find that she is weaker than you are. Okay. now this is another place where that sometimes people take this text and they present Peter in a sexist light where they, they would say, oh, he's saying the wife is the weaker vessel. Yeah, he said the wife is the weaker vessel. But notice he didn't say the wife is the weak vessel. Because what that attitude would be is it would be Peter saying that the husband is strong. He's got his act together and he's got the weak little wife that he's got to take care of. He didn't say the weak vessel. He said the weaker vessel. So it's not that Peter was saying the husband is strong and the wife is weak. He's saying the husband is weak and the wife just happens to be weaker. That changes everything about the way that man views himself and the way that he views his wife, that rather than saying, I'm strong and she's weak, it's that we're both weak. I'm weak, and she just happens to be weaker. And men, as you live with your wives, you do find that in most marriage relationships, you're going to find things that point to how that she's weaker than what you are. I'd imagine in most marriages that are represented here, if we took up the time within the years of marriage, and we were to... to somehow develop a chart that showed us how many seconds, how many minutes did the wives spend crying as opposed to the amount of minutes that the husband spent crying. I would imagine in most marriage relationships, you're going to find that the women have spent more time crying than what the men have probably in most marriages along the way. And so that gap where that you go through life and he's like, it'll be fine. And she's then she's revealing this is a way in which that she's weaker than what the husband is. So as the husband goes through life, he can have that pious, prideful spirit of saying, I'm strong and she's weak, or he can recognize I'm weak. And what my wife is doing is she's showing me how that she is weaker than I am. I'm getting the chance to see firsthand how that she is weaker. Okay. Now, all of that brings us to what we really want to talk about from verse seven, because once men, we understand and dwell with our wives according to knowledge, and we're seeing the ways in which that she's weaker than us, we can respond to that in one of three ways. Okay. Two of them are bad. One of them is the right way. Okay. So when we dwell with our wives, according to knowledge, we'll find out that she's weaker than us. One way that we as husbands can respond is to be frustrated by the fact that she's weaker than us. Okay? What, what, what did Peter say? He said that she's the weaker vessel. This word vessel that he's describing is like a beautiful, fragile vessel. So even the weakness is not meant to, to describe a, a weakness that makes it lesser in value. If anything, it makes it more beautiful and it makes it more fragile. He used the word vessel that's used in other places to describe like a vase or something like that that would be beautiful. So he's saying, if you could picture a crystal vase that's ornately designed, then you would say, wow, that's beautiful. Yes, it's, it's beautiful, but it's also fragile. 
And a husband who has a daily interaction with his wife and realizes how weak that she can be in some ways and how her emotions can be hurt and her sensitivities can be hurt in a variety of different ways, he can respond to that by being frustrated. And a husband can take the beautiful, fragile vessel that God has given to him and start treating her like a brick and be frustrated and say, why can't you be tough like I am? And, and be irritated as he goes through life and he does this and he does that. And he takes care of this problem and he goes through things and he's fine and he gets it together and he keeps it all together and can be frustrated by the fact that she can't do all the same things that he can do or doesn't handle all of those things in the same ways that he does. A husband can respond by treating his wife like a brick, like a rock, like a football, something to be tossed around, something to be irritated with to say, I'm glad that you're beautiful, but why can't you be tough? He can be irritated by the fact that she's fragile. I remember, this is where I'm going to tell you one of those stories about our newlywed years. It makes both of us look bad, so it's okay. Okay. Um, We'd probably been married... I don't know, three months. We got married in December. I spent a year in Heartland's graduate school and we got married in December, halfway through that graduate school experience. And this would have been probably March or April. We were standing in the foyer at Southwest Baptist Church, the church we, we still attend. And I had a whole bunch of single guy friends from before that we had gotten married. We're all standing there in the foyer. It's me, it's Anna, been married three months. And all these single guys were standing there together. So the conversation kind of starts to die down, as it can do in a four-year conversation. Sort of, you said what it is that you're going to say. It strikes me in the moment. I think it's a brilliant idea. And so I turn to all these guys and I say, hey, you all should come over this afternoon. Now we have our apartment. You can come over today. and I'll cook you a great meal. You all can watch some football. You can take a nap on the couch. It'll be fantastic. And I'm looking around at all of the college guys that I just said this to and cheerful, happy faces, high-fiving. Oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. Seeing happy face, happy face, happy face till I turn and look at my wife <laughs> from whom I received a subtle but very clear death stare. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, okay, so something's not right about this. We go and we get in the car, and as soon as we get in the car, she backhands me across his shoulder. Right? What? We can't have people over this afternoon. You know that I've been working during the church during the week. We haven't gotten any groceries lately. The laundry is out. I hadn't folded everything. Nothing is dusted. We can't have people over to the house. And so I'm, I'm recognizing, didn't know 1 Peter 3, 7, but I have confronted head on a way in which that my wife is weaker than me. Because to me, it's like, just be tough. It's no big deal. I tell her, it's okay, babe. They're college guys. They're not going to care. You just throw something together. Have them come over. It's going to be fine. Well, I had enough presence of mind. We pull up to our apartment and kind of hold the guys off from it while she goes up there. She throws laundry around. And as the guys proceed to come in, it was very obvious very quickly that there was trouble in paradise. Okay? Because... She's closing cabinet doors somewhat forcefully. She's not saying anything to anybody. And she was right. We hadn't been grocery shopping. I honestly cannot remember exactly for sure what it was that she served us. I think it was a frozen pizza and some frozen peas that she thawed. I just remember that kind of when the last container got somewhat forcefully set down on the table, that she walked into our bedroom and shut the door. And so I tried in every way possible to still look like a great husband and try to communicate to these guys that everything was okay. 
but the like somewhat baked frozen pizza and the frozen peas and her disposition let them know I had somehow messed up. So after I prayed with them and all of that, then I let them dig into the food that was there, and I decide I'm going to go and talk to my wife. Now, I'm, I'm preparing myself as I walk into this room uh, for a brawl, you know, for her to be angry and irritated because here, here's what happens. If we as husbands find the weaknesses in our wife, but we just are tough with them and say, hey, why can't you be tough like me? And we're irritated and frustrated and come on, just keep moving, keep going. What's your problem? Stop crying. Just keep going through life. Then one of two things will happen. Okay. We will either, they'll respond and they'll say, fine, you want a tough wife? I'll be a tough wife. I'll quit being beautiful if what you want is a brick and, and they'll harden in their disposition. And just as the husband is pushing them hard, then in their interaction with the husband, they're mean and they're terse and they're frustrated all the time because the husband's been treating them like a brick. Their thought is, well, I'll act like a brick. I'll be tough and mean in response in return. But the other thing that a husband can do is if he treats his beautiful, fragile vessel like a brick is he can break her. If rather than toughening up, she just stays fragile, then he'll break her. And when I walked into that, our apartment bedroom there, one bedroom apartment that we had, I walk into the bedroom, I'm going in there expecting that I was still going to have a brick on my hands, that she was going to be angry and irritated like what she had slapped me across the arm a minute ago. But instead what I discovered is that I had broken her because I opened the door and she's laid across the bed, hair all in this direction, you know, like this. And, I'm, and I come and stand over the bed and I say, what are you doing? And I'm expecting, because I'm irritated, because I'm expecting her to be irritated. And she comes up and the mascara is all over the place and she's been bawling. And I failed them. I failed you. And just broken because I'd had this demanding expectation, not acknowledging her weaknesses. And something that mattered very much to her was having a clean home, a good meal, to provide for these people while they make an assessment of her home. To me, it didn't seem like a big deal, but because I was so mean, I was so harsh, I was so hard, I broke her, okay? So that's what we as husbands can do. And what's really sad and really unfortunate is you can watch many marriages where that a husband who has responded this way, being frustrated, irritated, mad at his wife all the time and pushing her, that you'll find marriages where that a woman has become steel hard angry, bitter, cynical about life because a husband over and over and over and over again refused to acknowledge his wife's weaknesses and just pushed her to be tough and she responded by becoming tough. But you'll see just as many sad marriages in which that a wife has been broken over and over and over again and you find her insecure and sad and scared about life because she's just been broken by a, a mean husband who didn't understand her weaknesses and didn't understand he was different than her. And he's broken her over and over and over again that she's so easily broken. And you can see she's tried to paste herself together over and over again, but all the cracks of having been broken by her husband over and over again have had, have done real damage to her. Well, Again, I mentioned I was a, a rookie newlywed husband, right? Because when my wife is now crying, then, then what I did is rather than getting my act together and doing what 1 Peter 3 describes, I ran to the complete opposite side and made the opposite mistake. Okay, because here's my wife, and she's crying, she's bawling, and I'm thinking, 
what a dumb husband. I've been married three months. I already made her cry like this. What did I do wrong? Whatever it is I did wrong, I never want to do this again. And so I don't know. We didn't talk about it that afternoon. We went to church that night. We came back that night. It was okay. So what's the big deal? What's the problem? I don't understand. And here's what she said to me. She says, you need to never, ever, ever, ever ask anybody to come over to our house without asking my permission first. Without asking my permission first. Well, in my response, being over here on this side and me breaking her and saying, well, I never want that to happen again. That was ugly and unfortunate and awkward for everybody involved. Then when she says, I want you to promise me that you're never, ever, ever, ever going to invite anybody over to our house again without asking my permission first. I said, whatever you want, babe, I promise. I'll, I'll never invite anybody over to the house again without asking your permission. But that wasn't the right response either. Because the other way in which that a husband can respond in the wrong way would be not to treat his wife like a brick and to throw her around and expect her to be tough and for everything to turn out. But what some husbands will do is they'll take their beautiful, fragile vessel and they'll take bubble wrap and put that around the vessel, put some duct tape around that, get a box, fill it with foam peanuts, stick it down in there, close up the box and go find a remote closet somewhere in the house and say, that was so traumatic, that was so awful, having her break that way, then I will do whatever it takes to see to it that she never breaks ever again. And what that husband does is he allows his wife's weaknesses to dictate everything that happens in the home. That his desire to avoid her ever crying and ever showing weakness in an embarrassing way or never having to deal with that emotion again that he can swing instead of being angry and frustrated and irritated. Instead, he can go to the opposite extreme and say, whatever you want, babe, whatever we got to do to keep you happy, then that's fine. And people, even in Christian circles, will sometimes joke about that. And I know there's good humor in it, like the happy wife, happy life concept of like, oh, yeah, life is better when your wife is happy. And I agree with that. First Peter three tells us how you can have a truly happy wife. Not a happy wife that's been made a happy wife because you give her whatever she wants. And there are husbands, many Christian homes, in which that the husband's weak, I'm sorry, the wife's weaknesses dictate what happens in the home. They only have people over when the wife wants to have people over. They only enjoy the physical relationship when the wife wants the physical relationship. They live where the wife wants them to live. They drive the cars the wife wants them to drive. They have the number of kids the wife wants them to have. I'm just listing through a whole bunch of things where it could be that wife's weaknesses and her demands could cause a husband to say, well, I just don't want to deal with it. I, I don't want to deal with the change in the cup older. I don't want to deal with the dripping faucet on a daily basis of her manifesting her weaknesses. So whatever I got to do to make her never have to deal with any of her weaknesses, I'll do it because I just don't want to have to deal with it. And a husband like that has taken his beautiful, fragile vessel and has tucked her away in a closet somewhere. And what's really sad about that is that wife then will respond in two ways as well. She will never live up to her God-given potential because she's allowed to continue in her weaknesses. Her, her husband wasn't willing to understand her weaknesses and her husband wasn't willing to help her weak, with her weaknesses. He just wanted to avoid her weaknesses. So a powerful, awesome, wonderful woman is placed in a closet rather than being able to be all that God designed her to be. But also, that wife will despise her husband 
because she'll, in her heart, whether she said it with her mouth or not, she'll be saying in her mind, he wasn't man enough to help me with my weaknesses. He didn't care about them. He didn't know them. And when he realized them, he did whatever he had to do just simply to avoid them. Now, I want you to understand the fact that I got my act together in this situation, this story from when we were newlyweds, is truly only because of the grace of God. I'm going to reference that again here in just a second. But during that week following that Sunday night where I made that promise to Anna that I would never, never, never ask anybody over to the house without asking her permission first, the Lord was just working me over. And I didn't know why. I didn't understand these principles, but I just thought, Lord, you're calling us to the ministry. And, and I, I can't have one of those high-maintenance wife relationships where that we can't love on people, we can't help people because everything just has to be perfect before we can ever care for anybody else. I must be missing something about how I'm supposed to respond. I know I'm supposed to be a good husband, and I know I was thoughtless, but what is it that I'm supposed to do? And it's like the Lord was working me over in that whole week and showing me what I was supposed to do. And so that following Saturday night, we... I came home from work. She was already there at the apartment. And I come into her and, and, and say, babe, I should have never made that promise to you. I know I shouldn't have made that promise because that's not right for me to make that promise. I'm supposed to be the leader of our home. There are going to be times where it's going to be the right thing for me to do, even on short notice, for us to be ready to love people and care for people. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. I have to take that promise back. It was never right for me to make that promise in the first place. But then here's what the Lord gave me the presence of mind. I, I said to her, Hey, babe, I have no idea if we are going to have people over to the house tomorrow or not, but I want us to be ready. And I said, what could I do to help you be ready to have people over tomorrow? Well, as soon as I asked that question, just watch the corners of her mouth proceed to develop into this slightly mischievous smile, right? As she says, well, you know, I've been working all this week and I still haven't gotten to dust the house. And if we're going to have people over, we got to dust and I need to vacuum. And we've just kind of gone out to eat here or there along the way. And I, I haven't been to the grocery store. I couldn't make a meal for anybody. We don't have the stuff here in the house. And I said, okay, well, how about this? We're going to spend the rest of this evening getting the house ready to have people over in case we do. And we're going to go to the grocery store and we're going to have the stuff in the refrigerator, in the freezer, so that we can potentially have people over tomorrow. And she's happy. Okay, so then the remainder of that evening, she vacuums. I dusted. Are you proud of me? I dusted. I dusted. She vacuums. She gets all excited. She says, hey, do you think I can make my mom's lasagna recipe or some other recipe from her mom? She's all excited about it. She calls her mom. We go to the grocery store. I'm pushing the cart. She's happy talking to her mom, putting ingredients in there and all of that because she's getting to make her mom's recipe tomorrow. So fast forward to the next day. Staying in the foyer Sunday afternoon at the church. We've got all these college guys that we're standing there talking to, just like we had the week before. Some guys the same, some guys different. Okay? So the conversation begins to die down, and I look at all the guys. I say, hey, you should come over this afternoon. It'll be great, and it will make you a meal. You can watch football. You can take a nap. It'll be fantastic. Well, the guys who were not there the previous week, they're high-fiving. They're excited. The guys who were standing there the previous week did not even take a second to look at me. They immediately looked at her. And after pausing just a moment for dramatic effect, she says, yeah, that'd be great. I'm making my mom's lasagna, whatever it was. I'm making this. You'll love it. It'll be great. So then we drive towards the house. 
She's happy. She's excited. We go in. She puts on a little apron. She's humming as she's stirring stuff and talking to the guys about their girlfriends and how recently had they called their mom and were they treating their sisters right and just being a blessing to all of these guys. The food tasted delicious. The house looked the way that she wanted. And the guys who were there the previous week are kind of like, (laughs) what happened here? The guys that had not been there before I'm literally hearing them whisper to each other, she is so awesome. She is so cool. I mean, she made this meal. She's been so kind to us. And I didn't know her. She's so awesome. And, and with God's help, what he enabled me to do was what is in 1 Peter 3, 7. Because what does Peter say is the right response? Once a husband understands that his wife is the weaker vessel, he's supposed to give honor unto her as the weaker vessel. You know what that means? It means rather than take that beautiful, fragile vessel and treat it like a brick or a football, toss it around, expect it to be tough, or rather than taking it and putting it in a box and hiding it away, it's instead to understand its weaknesses and say, here, this vessel is beautiful and it's fragile. Everyone needs to see it, but I need to make sure it's well taken care of. And to take that beautiful, fragile vessel and put it on the mantle, and everyone who comes into that home will then say, wow, that's a beautiful woman. That's a secure woman. That's a person who's ready to minister to people. And, you know, on that Sunday afternoon, as those guys are saying those nice things about my wife, and certainly I'm glad that they're having all these good things to say about her, but in my own mind, I'm going, (laughs) way to be a good husband. I finally got my act together, and in me doing what I'm supposed to do, it set her free to be what God designed her to be. So, men, I want you to understand, if right now you've got a wife, that you feel like is breaking all the time, is hard towards you, is not all that you think that God has designed her to be. If she's disdaining you, despising you as a husband, it's very possible that it's not all her fault. And it's not that she's messed up. It's not that she's got all the problems. It's entirely possible that you've been responding by not caring about her weaknesses, not recognizing her weaknesses, ignoring her weaknesses, Rejecting her weaknesses, pushing and shoving, or not providing leadership and allowing her weaknesses to dominate everything. But if in submission to Jesus, you make it your business to dwell with your wife and make it a fact-finding journey, just like men, just like you would troubleshoot a vehicle that had a clicking sound that wouldn't stop, and you'd say, i got to get to the bottom of this till I can, till I can fix it. That a husband who would say, My wife is not secure. She's not well cared for. She's hurting a lot. She's grieving right now. A husband who submitted to Jesus will say, I'm going to become a student of my wife. I'm going to listen to her and keep listening to her and keep listening. And sometimes you'll have to keep and keep and keep and keep on listening for a good long while before all of what's in there comes out and you finally get to, at the core of it, what was the weakness she was trying to tell you all along. And then once you hear that weakness to say, I'm not going to be irritated by it just because it's not like me. I'm not going to be irritated by it. I'm not going to let it dominate the home. I'm going to talk through it with her, help her through that weakness, and allow her to be the beautiful vessel God designed her to be within our home. Now, this, I'm almost done. I want you to look at then what Peter says after that. He says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Okay? I'm going to mention this again tonight as well, because this is the conclusion of verses 1 through 7. Okay? But I don't know about you, men, but when I hear that high standard 
of what God expects me to be and what Jesus expects me to be towards my wife, I say it is not in me to be that kind of husband. Because sometimes I come home from work and I'm exhausted. I don't want to sit and listen to whatever. Sometimes it's that I'm so far into a textbook or paper of some kind. It takes so much work and so much effort to change mental gears and to care about the things that she cares about and that she's trying to tell me. It takes. It, it's so hard to do those things. The husband could say, I'm not cut out like that. I'm not one of those touchy-feely husbands. I'm not one of those that just sits and listens and understands and cares. Well, you got to be because Jesus told you to be. But what you have as a resource to help you do that is grace. You are heirs together. Both you and your wife, you're both heirs together of the grace of life. And God has given you the grace, the enabling that you need to be the husband that you're supposed to be. And I can tell you, men, that once the Lord got a hold of me about this, it's rare for me to drive home at the end of the workday. And while I'm sitting in the driveway or as I'm pulling into the driveway and before I get out of the vehicle, I look up there, I see munchkins that we have standing at the doorway. I see my wife standing at the doorway. I have to go before God and say, Lord, you know, I feel like I have nothing left. I can't listen to all of that. I can't care about all of that. I, can't, I don't have the strength to do all of that, but I can say, Lord, I know that you will give me your grace, and I'm asking for your grace to be the husband that I'm supposed to be. And he helps. But we're dependent upon his grace to be the kind of husband that, he's, that we're supposed to be because it's not in any of us to be that kind of husband. So I'm going to pray to wrap things up uh, as far as the session's concerned. I'll turn it over to Brother Lamar. And just what I want to ask is that that men within your own heart, you would say, am I lined up under Jesus regarding the care of my wife like I should be? And, and if you're not, ask the Lord for his grace and trust his grace to help you. And it could be that even this afternoon, while you're running here and there, going to restaurants, getting coffee, hanging out in the hotel room, whatever it is that you're doing, that you'd be mindful of this and say, I'm going to listen to my wife today and take some time to be a student of my wife and let her tell me her weaknesses and her struggles and I'm going to choose with God's grace to respond to them accordingly. Okay, let me pray with you. Lord, you know how much that, uh, Lord, we are, are frail people and we do depend upon your grace. And Lord, I, I believe that you put it in us as husbands to want to fix things so that there can be peace, there can be rest within the home, And it could be, Lord, that it's in us so much to want to fix our wives or to view them as the problem and nothing can be done about it. But Lord, your word points out some ways that we as husbands can and should improve, but we depend upon your help and your enabling to grow and to mature as the husbands that you want us to be. Lord, I just want to ask that you'd help every husband with humility before you to acknowledge his need of your help and to rely upon your help. And then I would ask, Lord, that even in this afternoon, that the time doesn't have to be awkward. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable. It can just be in the everyday details of life that that you would help us as husbands, that this afternoon even we would listen and pay attention to the things that our wives are telling us on a daily basis that matter to them, that are important to them as they reveal their weaknesses, their challenges and struggles and help us, Lord, to respond as you would want us to. Thank you again, Lord, for your word and the direction that it gives. We'd be lost without it, but with it, we have your help. 
And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.